وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يسلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار مرحبا بكم جميعا وأحسن الله إليكم We continue with the sisters classes in which we are covering the Tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha Matters of jurisprudence connected to women And benefits from the biographies of the wives of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam In the last class <coughs> From the Tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, we begin to cover some of the traits and the characteristics of the people of the book, those whom we ask Allah Azza wa Jal in our prayers not to make us like them and to protect us from being upon their path. When we say, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِّرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَيْرِ الْمَقْبُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَدْضَالِينَ Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom your favor is upon, and not the path of those whom your anger is upon, nor those who are astray. So there are three paths. The first path is the path of Allah. The path of those whom Allah's favor is upon. They are the ones 
who combine between beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. These are the people Allah favored them. They are the prophets, the truthful, the martyrs, and the righteous. This is the path that we ask Allah to guide us to. And then you have two other paths, two deviant paths. The paths that we ask Allah to protect us from and keep us away from. The first path is the path of those whom Allah's anger is upon. And they are the Yahud. Why? Because they have knowledge. They know better, but they don't practice their knowledge. So for them not practicing their knowledge, Allah's anger is upon them. And then you have the path of those who have actions. But these actions are not based upon beneficial knowledge. Rather, it's based upon doubts. And these are the Nasara, those who are astray. So it is important that the Muslim does not resemble them. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, مَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ That whoever imitates a people, he is from them. So we must strive to imitate the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ and the rest of the Prophets and Messengers. We must strive to imitate those who are truthful, like Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And we must strive to imitate those who are the martyrs of the religion, like Umar ibn Khattab and Uthman and Ali, being righteous and upright. We must strive to imitate those who are righteous. These are the individuals we try to be like. These are the individuals who we take as role models. But as for the people who have knowledge and they don't practice what they know, we don't want to be like them. And as for people who have practices, but these practices are not based upon the knowledge, we don't want to be like them either. Because Allah is not pleased with neither one of those two groups. So we covered that from their actions is jealousy and envy. And this jealousy and envy is a means which prevented the people of the book from following that which Prophet Muhammad came with, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As Allah Azawajal mentions, وَدَّ كِثِيرٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَوْ يُرُدُّونَكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِكُمْ كُفَّارًا حَسَدًا مِنْ عِنْدِ أَنفُسِهِمْ that many from the people of the world, they would love to turn you back from your religion after your faith. As disbelievers, due to jealousy from themselves, meaning due to jealousy from them, against the Prophet Wasallam and the Muslims, they don't want to follow what Prophet Muhammad came with. Rather, they want the Prophet Wasallam and the Sahaba to follow their way. And you have, unfortunately, 
individuals from amongst the Muslims who have been afflicted with having jealousy for their brothers and sisters in Islam. So when you have jealousy for your brother or sister in Islam, wishing for them evil, or hoping or wishing that the blessing they have, they didn't have it, this is from the characteristics of the Yahud. Because they wish that the prophethood had came to them, meaning from the lineage of Ishaq. But the last prophet, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is from the lineage of Ismail. So they were jealous, and that prevented them from following the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it is a must that we stay away from jealousy. And the only time it is allowed for one to be jealous is jealousy in a good way, in a good manner. And what is meant by jealousy in a good manner? Meaning, when we see someone with good, we don't wish that they didn't have that blessing from Allah, but rather we wish that we were like them. And if we had the good that they have, we would do the same thing. And this is in the case of the one who Allah has given him wealth. Allah gives wealth to a person and the person uses the wealth for a good reason, for that which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we wish that we was like this individual. And then the second person, the one Allah has given him wisdom, hikmah. And the person, he uses the wisdom in a manner that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. As the Prophet sallallahu said, لا حسد إلا فثنتين There is no jealousy except in two matters. And the first matter mentioned by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam رَجُلٌ أَتَاهُ اللَّهُ مَالًا A person, Allah Azza wa Jal, has given him wealth. So what does this person do? He uses the wealth for good. So you can be jealous of him, meaning that you wish you had the same wealth so that you can do good too. Not that you wish he didn't have the money and you have it, or you wish he didn't have the money. No. Right, you wish that you had the money too, so that you can do the same good that you see the person doing with his wealth. And the second individual, 
ورجل أتاه الحكمة فهو يقضي بها ويعلمها A person Allah has given that individual wisdom So he judges by the wisdom And he teaches the wisdom to people And a person is given knowledge With understanding of the knowledge And how to apply the knowledge So this individual applies the knowledge That Allah has given him in his situations And teaches this knowledge with the understanding to the people The second matter we covered Al-Bukhl, being stingy Allah Azza wa mentions Al-Ladheena yabkhaloona wa ya'muruna al-Nasa bil-Bukhl Wa yaktumuna ma'atahumullahu min fadli Those who are stingy And they command the people with stinginess And they conceal that which Allah has given them from his virtue So here Allah Azza wa has described the people of the book as having stinginess with them And this is stinginess when it comes to Knowledge That they hide the knowledge And stinginess When it comes to wealth, money Not to give sadaqah and the likes So this is the description of those Whom Allah's anger is upon That at times they conceal knowledge And at times They conceal or they hold back the wealth And the purpose of them concealing the knowledge Is out of fear That if they give the knowledge to another people That these people will surpass them They will become bigger than them Or more knowledgeable than them Or they fear that if they give the people the knowledge Then they're going to lose something from their worldly affairs and unfortunately you have Muslims who have been tested with this That they are afraid to teach the people the knowledge The correct knowledge out of fear that they are going to lose their position and their status It is upon those who have knowledge to teach the people the knowledge So that the people can be upon insight and worshipping Allah And ignorance is removed from them and not that a person holds the knowledge and conceals the knowledge from the people So that he can keep the people under him mm -hmm. Right? And that he can have control over the people This is not the way of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam A third characteristic of them They do not submit to the truth If it opposes someone who they follow Allah Azawajal mentions, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ آمِنُوا بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ قَالُوا نُؤْمِنُوا بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْنَا وَيَكْفُرُونَ بِمَا وَرَاءَهُ وَهُوَ الْحَقُّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعْهُمْ Allah states, and when it is said to them, believe in that which Allah has revealed, they say, we believe in what has been revealed to us, and they disbelieve in that which is after it. And even though it is the truth confirming that which is with them. And this is after Allah stated, Even though before, they used to say to those who disbelieve, that there's going to come a prophet, and we're going to be with that prophet against you. 
But then when Prophet Muhammad came, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they say, we don't accept this. We only believe in what came to us through Musa. Even though they know Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is mentioned in their book that he will come. Right. We only follow Musa. Whatever comes to Musa, this is what we follow. But they lie. They really don't follow Musa. Because in the Torah, the descriptions of Prophet Muhammad is there. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But this is their way. That whenever something comes, even if it's the truth, but it opposes what's with them, they don't follow it because it didn't come from them. And this is incorrect. Rather, it is upon us to follow the truth. If the truth comes to us, and it is against what we believe, or it is against what we view to be correct, then we must leave off our position and follow the truth. Because the truth is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The truth is in the Qur'an. The truth is in the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's possible that we can make a mistake. We may have thought something was correct and then later on we find out it's not correct, it's wrong. So you can't still say, no, but this is what I learned. No, it's wrong. So when you learn something new and what you learn is correct and the old is, is wrong, leave it off and follow what has come to you from the truth. And don't be a person that says, well, this is not what I learned from my teachers. Well, this, I didn't learn this uh, from my sheikh, so I'm not going to follow it. Well, I didn't learn this in my country, so I'm not going to follow it or the likes. No. If it's the truth from Allah, the truth from Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon that which the Sahaba followed, then we, we accept it. Today we come to the fourth description. تَحْرِفُ الْكَلِمْ الْمَوَاضِعِهِ Changing the words from their proper places, distorting the words. Distortion of the revelation is two types. Distorting the revelation for the purpose of is distorting the revelation by way of changing the meaning of the text. You change the meaning. The second category is changing the actual words. Allah he says, مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمَّوَادِعِهِ And from those who are Yahud, Jews, they change the words from their proper place. Allah he states, وَإِنَّ مِنْهُمْ لَفَرِيقًا يَلْوُونَ أَلْسِنَتَهُمْ بِالْكِتَابِ لِتَحْسَبُوهُ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَمَا هُوَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَيَكُولُونَ هُوَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَمَا هُوَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَيَكُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ This is Surah Ali Imran, verse number 78. Allah Azzawajal mentions And you have a group from amongst them 
You have a group from amongst them who alter and change the revelation with their tongues. They distort the book with their tongues so that you may think that what they are saying is from the book. They change it. So when you listen, you think, oh, that's the Torah. Oh, that's the Injil. They do this. But they're the ones changing. And this is as they're reading. They're saying, that's like a person, he holds the Quran in front of you. And then he starts reading, giving his own interpretation. You may think, oh, that's what the Quran says. But it's not in the Quran. He's giving his own meaning. He's changing the words to what he wants them to be. This is what they used to do. So Allah, he states, So from amongst them there's a group or party who distort the book with their tongues as they read, so that you may think it is from the book, but it is not from the book. And they say, this is from Allah, but it is not from Allah. And they speak a lie against Allah while they know better. Hey, because they change it. Because they changed it. No, the people who were in for the Torah and the Injil, their scholars were supposed to preserve and protect it. But they became corrupted. So what did they do? They changed the words to what they desire. And say, Allah says this, and Allah he don't say that. But they say it. Right? And they change. They say, oh, Allah says. But Allah never said that. Right. So the tahrif or the distortion, it can be tahrif al-ta'wil. Distorting the meaning. And you have a group from this ummah who have been tested with this. وَقَدْ أُبْتُلِيَتْ بِهِ تَوَائِفْ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ وَبِتَحْرِيفِ التَّنْزِيلِ وَقَدْ وَقَعَ فِيهِ كَثِيرٍ مِنَ النَّاسِ And many, and then you have the distortion of the actual revelation, meaning the wording. And many of the people have fallen into this. يُحَرِّفُونَ أَلْفَاظَ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم They change and distort the wordings of the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم. So the Muslims who do this, they're just like the Yahud who changed the Torah, or those who changed the Injil. When the Muslims come and try to change the meaning of the Qur'an, this is what the people did before. So it's not allowed for us to change the meaning of the Qur'an, or to change the words of the Qur'an. And it's not allowed for us to change the words of the Prophet wasallam or the meaning of what the Prophet came with. We leave it as it is. We say what Allah say, and we mention the meaning that Allah intended. We say what the Prophet said, وسلم, and we mention the meaning that the Messenger intended. It is not allowed for us to put our personal thoughts into the religion and change the religion. The religion is perfect. You can't make the religion what you want it to be. This is Allah's deen, not our yeah. deen to where we can change, take stuff yeah. out, put stuff you in. No, 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 you can't do this. This is not your religion to change and to add or to take away. Allah revealed the religion is perfect. You have to leave it as it is. 
So anyone who tries to change the Quran, whether the wording or the meaning, or anyone who who tries to change the Sunnah, whether wording or meaning, then this person is similar to the people of the book who changed the Torah and the Injil. An example, Allah He states in the Quran, وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا That Allah, He spoke to Musa with speech. The Jahmiya, the deviants, Jahmiya and the followers of them, the Mu'tazila, they say, وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهَ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا Musa spoke to Allah. Why? Because they want to deny the attribute that Allah speaks. So they change here the wording. Another example, Ar-Rahman al-Arsh istawa, the most merciful rose above the throne. The deviants come, they say, istawa istawla, that Allah conquered the throne, not that He rose above the throne. So they change the meaning here. Because they want to deny that Allah, Allah has the attribute of rising above. So here are examples of the deviants changing the wording of the Quran and changing the meaning of the Quran. This is not allowed. Rather, we follow what has come with the understanding of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The fifth characteristic, al-ghulu fil-makhluqin. Exaggeration and extremism when it comes to the creation. Allah, He states, Ya ahl al-kitab, la taghlu fi dinikum, wa la taqulu ala Allahi illa al-haq. Innama al-masih Isa ibn Maryam, Rasulullahi wa kalimatuhu. Allah says, O people of the book, do not go to the extremes in your religion. And do not say about Allah except for the truth. The Messiah, Jesus or Isa, the son of Maryam, he is only the messenger of Allah and the word of Allah. So here Allah is addressing the people of the book not to have extremism. Exaggeration. Isa is Rasulullah. Not the son of Allah. He's not Allah's child. Allah doesn't have no children. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Allah Azzawajal does not begot nor was he begotten. He doesn't have children nor is he the child of anyone. So Allah revealed this to combat the extremism. That Allah Azzawajal doesn't have a child. Nor is Allah the child of anyone. When they say Isa is the son of Allah, this is extremism. This is going beyond the boundaries. Isa, alhamdulillah, we love him. And he's a great messenger. But he's not Allah. And he's not the son of Allah. He's not Allah, and he's not the son of Allah, and he's not from the Trinity. They say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People, I am a law, 
when Isa come back, he's going to bring the truth. Yeah. And he's going to establish the truth. That he is not Allah and he's not the son of Allah. Yeah, yeah. And he's not the third of the three. I don't see uh, if I speak, I don't see uh, Allah, nor the son of Allah, yeah? He's going to bring the truth, yes. He's going to break the crosses and kill the swine and abolish the jizya, as the Prophet mentioned, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So going, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La The Prophet said, Do not exaggerate regarding me like the Christians exaggerated regarding Isa. Raising him up to be more than just a messenger. They say he's Allah or the Son of Allah. The Prophet said, Don't do this to me. The Prophet said, Indeed, I am the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Why did Prophet Muhammad mention these two things? I am the servant of Allah and the messenger of Allah for two reasons. He said he's the servant of Allah, meaning don't worship him because he worships Allah. And he is the messenger of Allah, meaning don't disobey him because Allah sent him to teach the people. So this is a balance between extremism and negligence. We don't raise him above his level because he's, a, he's Abdullah, servant of Allah. So we don't worship him. Only Allah is to be worshipped. And we don't belittle him and disobey him because he's Rasulullah. Allah sent him to teach the people. Some individuals from the Muslims, they have extremism and they exaggerate regarding the righteous or their teachers or their sheikh. They raise the sheikh up as if the sheikh can't make mistakes and whatever the sheikh says, you have to take it. You find this with the likes of the Sufis. They raise their sheikhs, so whatever the sheikh tell them to do, they do it. Even if it goes against, call Allah, call Rasul. This is wrong. Imam Malik, rahimahullah, he stated, "Kullun yuqad minhu aw yurad, illa sahib hadha al-qabr." Imam Malik, he stated, "Everyone's statement can be accepted." Or rejected except for the one in this grave. And he pointed to the grave of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The only man that we take everything that he says in the matters of religion is Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because as Allah says, وَمَا يَنْتِكُوا عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا He doesn't speak from his desires. It is only revelation revealed to him. So when Prophet Muhammad wasallam spoke about the religion, this is from Allah. This is not from himself. As for the scholars and other people, they can be right, they can be wrong. So whatever they come with, 
if it agrees with call Allah, call a Rasul, we accept it. And call a Sahaba. The Sahaba meaning all of them together, they're infallible when they agree upon a matter. The shirk. The shirk billah. You can't ask the Prophet for anything, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No, this is incorrect. This is not what the Prophet did. No, it's not Islam. It's not for the uh, in my country, a lot of people uh, believe for the one year. Uh, That's tabligh. The, the tabligh, their foundation is tasawwuf, Sufism. So these people are groups of deviants, and they have with them practices Prophet Muhammad never did. And they have teachings that the Prophet wasallam never taught. And this is, this is an example that they follow their teachers. Whatever their teachers tell them to do, they do it. Yeah. Even if it goes against what Prophet what, the, what Allah says, or what Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. Right, you cannot do this. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَعْنَةُ عَلَى الْيَهُودِ وَالنَّصَارَى اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ مَسَاجِدِ The Prophet said, the curse of Allah is upon the Jews and the Christians. Why? Because they took the graves, the qabr, the qubur of their prophets as places of worship. So this shows that you cannot worship at the grave of anyone. You cannot make the grave of someone a place of worship, even if it is a prophet. The prophet said, don't take my grave as in place of eat. Don't make his grave a place you keep coming there and you're doing worship every year. No, this is not allowed. So if we can't worship Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam or go to his grave for worship, then we can't do it with any other prophet. And if we can't do it with none of the prophets, and they're the best of the people, then for sure we can't do it with the regular people, yeah. because the prophets are the best, yeah. and it's not allowed to go to their graves and worship at no their graves. No, right. Yeah. So if we can't do this for prophets, we can't do it for the regular people. Yeah. So you have, unfortunately, from amongst the people, those who take their teachers and their scholars and they raise their level up to a level of infallibility, meaning they can't make mistakes. So whatever they tell them to do, they do it. This is incorrect. It is upon the Muslim that we judge every statement, every action, Every creed, every belief to the book of Allah, the Quran, yeah. to the Sunnah of Prophet Wasallam, and to that which the Sahaba agreed upon. These are the three scales we use to judge everything in Islam. Whatever agrees with that, we accept it. Whatever goes against that, we don't accept it. So Allah tells the people of the book not to be extreme in their religion. The sixth matter, Ta'atul المخلوقين في مخالفة أحكام Obeying the creation in opposition to the rules and regulations of Allah. Allah, He states, اتخذوا أحبارهم 
وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَالْمَسِيحَ بِنَ مَرْيَمْ They take their rabbis and their monks as lords besides Allah and the Messiah, the son of Maryam. What this means, as the Prophet explained, Ibn Taymiyyah says, فَسَّرَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ بِأَنَّهُمْ أَحَلُّ لَهُمُ الْحَرَامُ وَحَرَّمُوا عَلَيْهِمُ الْحَلَالُ فَأَطَاعُوهُمْ فِي ذَلِكُ the Prophet explained that these people made halal what Allah made haram. And they made haram what Allah made halal. Yeah, Allah people Right. And then the people followed them. This here is the way of the people of the book. Their rabbis, their leaders. And their monks, they say halal, but Allah said haram. The people who they follow, they follow Allah? No, they follow them, their leaders. Allah says haram, they say halal. Allah says halal, they say haram, the people follow them. This is actually, when they do this, believing that which Allah has legislated is wrong and incorrect, Knowing that Allah has legislated this matter, and they reject that, following what their leaders brought to them, this is worshiping of their leaders. This is worship. So, one is not allowed to follow anyone, no matter how great the person may be. If the person is giving a judgment or a ruling, that goes against, excuse me, that goes against what Allah says, or goes against what Prophet Muhammad wasallam said, or goes against the way of the believers, meaning the Sahaba, you can't follow it. Even if the person is a great scholar, he's wrong in this matter, you can't follow him. And not following the person when he's wrong doesn't mean you hate him, if it's a scholar from the known scholars, it doesn't mean you hate him. It doesn't mean you're disrespecting him. Rather, the scholar is incorrect. As an example, you have Abu Hanifa. You have uh, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmed. These are from the great four scholars of our, of our nation. Sometimes they make mistakes. So when you see that the imam made a mistake, don't follow the mistake. We still respect the imam, and we still honor the imam, but we do not follow them in their mistake. And know that their mistake is not intentional. Not, they don't intend to make a mistake. Different from, so now here's the point. If we don't follow them when they made a mistake, and they did not intend to do something wrong or say something wrong, even more so, we don't follow the people who intentionally do wrong and change the rules. Like these individuals from the, the, the rabbis and the monks, they know that they was changing the rules. It wasn't a mistake. They intentionally did something wrong. And the people follow them in that. So even more so, those individuals, we stay away from them and don't follow them when they make rules that oppose the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Shaykh al-Islam states وَكَثِيرٌ مِنْ أَتْبَاعِ الْمُتَعَبِّدَةِ يُطِيعُ بَعْضَ الْمُعَظَّمِينَ عِنْدَهِ فِي كُلِّ مَا يَأْمُرُهُ بِهِ وَإِنْ تَظَمَّنَ تَحْلِيلَ حَرَامٍ أَوْ تَحْرِيمَ حَلَالٍ That many from the quote-unquote devout worshippers they obey some of those who they magnify and everything that he commands with even if it entails making halal what's haram or making haram what's halal they obey him this is wrong it is a must that we obey the rules and the regulations of Allah Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd We continue with the matters of jurisprudence connected to the woman In the last class we entered into the bab or the affair of the siwak and we cover that the siwak is from the affairs of the fitra and the siwak we use it following the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned that the siwak mutahhira lil fam wa munaddat lil rabb aw kama qala sallallahu alayhi wasallam that the siwak is a means of purifying your mouth cleaning your mouth and it is that which pleases the lord so there is a worldly benefit from using the siwak and a religious benefit. Mm. The miswak, yes, the siwak. So the, the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned is a purification for the mouth which is the worldly benefit, and that which pleases the Lord, which is the religious benefit. Nam. The siwak should be used with the intention of seeking nearness to Allah. That when you use the siwak, the niya should be you're doing something to please Allah. Even when you're cleaning your mouth. Make your intention that you're using the siwak following the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So then when you use the siwak, you get a reward, you get an ajr for the usage of the siwak. We covered the times where it is encouraged to use the siwak. One of the times that it is encouraged to use the siwak is when a person is making wudu. When a person is making wudu, 
this is a time where it is encouraged to use the siwak. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stated, and this narration is on the authority of Abi Huraira, لَوْلَا أَنْ أَشُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِالسِّوَاكِ مَعَ الْوُضُوءِ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, If it was not that I would make a hardship upon my nation, I would command them with using the siwak at the time of making wudu. So here the Prophet ﷺ did not command us to use the siwak for every wudu, but this shows that it is encouraged, it's rec- highly recommended. That when you make wudu, you use the siwak. Another time, is when a person is going to pray. And this narration is also on the authority of Abi Huraira radiallahu an, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَوْلَا أَنْ أَشُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِالسِّوَاكِ عِنْدَ كُلِّ صُلَاةٍ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, had it not been that I will make a hardship upon my nation, I would have commanded them to use the siwak every time one makes salat or for every salat. So the Prophet ﷺ did not command us to use the siwak for every salat, but is recommended. So this includes the obligatory salat, the five prayers, and the sunnah prayers. Because it says here, in the kulli salah for every prayer. So that includes the obligatory prayers and the supererogatory prayers. Both is recommended to use the siwak before you pray. Another time when reciting the Quran, we have the narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an, he said, Amaruna bis siwak. He commanded us with siwak, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commanded with siwak. Waqala inna al-abd idha qama yusalli atahu malakun. That indeed when the servant stands up to pray, an angel comes to him. Faqama khalfahu wa yastami'u al-Qur'ana wa yadnu. So the angel stands behind him and he listens to the Quran and then he draws near to him. So he does not cease to listen to the Quran and draw near until he puts his mouth upon his mouth. So he does not recite a verse except that he recites it within or in the angel. So the angel is there with him as he's reciting. So he cleans his mouth to make his mouth have a good smell. Yeah. So that he doesn't harm the angel. 
Because remember the Prophet forbade us from coming to the masjid if you eat onions or garlic because it puts a smell on an odor on your breath. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the angels are harmed and offended by that which harms the children of Adam. So if the if the children of Adam are harmed by the smell of onion and garlic, say that again. Yeah, you don't come to the masjid if you have that odor. If you have that odor. And this is the narration, uh, is authentic on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam regarding not coming to the masjid if a person has eaten onions or he has eaten garlic. And the Prophet mentioned the reason why, because the angels are offended and harmed by that which harms the children of Adam. And what is the harm here? It's the odor that comes from the raw onions and raw garlic. There's a smell to it. And a person can be praying and making salah, and then an individual, his breath has that smell of onions and garlic, and it's offensive to a person who's praying uh, next to the individual. So one should stay away from it because now you can uh, distract and disturb a person while they're in their prayer through the odor. Now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, مَنْ أَكَلَ الْبَصَلْ وَالثُومْ فَلَا يَقْرَبَنَّا مَشْدِدَنَا فَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ تَتَأَذَّ مِمَّا يَتَأَذَّ مِنْهُ بَنُ آدَمٍ مُتَفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ حَدِيثِ جَابِرٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهِ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that whoever has eaten the onions or the, the garlic do not come to this masjid of ours, don't come near to this masjid of ours for indeed the angels, they are harmed and offended by that which harms the children of Adam. So when a person is going to recite the Quran, it is good for the individual that his breath smells good or her breath smells good when reciting the Quran because the angel draws near to you. Also, when entering your home, when you go into your home, a person should start with the siwak. And this narration is on Shuraih. He said, Sa'altu Aisha radiallahu anha, Qult, bi ayi shayin, kana yabda'u al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, idha dakhala bayta, faqalat bis siwak. Shuraih, he asked Aisha radiallahu anha, what thing, or did, what did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam begin with when he entered into his home? And Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned 
he will begin with the siwak. He will begin with the siwak. So, whenever the Prophet will come home, the first thing he would do upon entering his home, of course, was saying Bismillah, using the siwak before he goes to his family, so that he doesn't offend his wife. Because being outside of the home, the smell of a person's breath may change being outside all day and you haven't cleaned your mouth. Also, the scholars extract from this that one should use the siwak when entering into the masjid. Because the Prophet ﷺ used the siwak when entering into his house. And they, the scholars, they say that the masjid is the best house because it is the house of Allah, as a wajan. So if the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam used the siwak when entering into his house, then even more so, one should use the siwak when entering into the masjid. Because the masjid is the best house as it is the house of Allah Azza wa Also they say, the other angle why a person should use the siwak when entering into the masjid, because the masjid is the place for salah, for dhikr, for the recitation of the Qur'an, and other than that. So therefore, a person should use the siwak when entering to the masjid, because this is the place where he prays. This is the place where he makes dua. This is the place where he makes dhikr. This is the place where the malaika come. The malaika, they frequent the masajid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is befitting to use the siwak in the masjid because you are there to worship. And there is a narration on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inna afwahakum turukun lil Qur'an fatayyibuha bis siwak that indeed your mouths are the ways or the passageways for the Qur'an so make your mouths have a good pleasant smell by way of the siwak so when you want to recite the Qur'an, and when you come to the masjid, that's one of the things you do. People come to the masjid not only to pray, but to sit and recite Qur'an. So it's important that a person, when he or she comes to the masjid, to use the siwak, so that a person's breath has a good, pleasant smell. Now, another time, for using the siwak is when a person 
is getting up from sleeping. And this is based upon the narration of Hudayfa, radiallahu an. He said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام ليتحجد يشوص فاه بالسواق Hudayfa ibn Yaman radiallahu an, he stated that the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم when he stood up to make tahajjud at night or when he got up to make tahajjud meaning from his sleep that he would clean his mouth with the siwaq The scholars they mention that when a person wakes up from his sleep, that the best thing for him to do is to use the siwa, following the example of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But some may say the narration on Hudayfa is speaking about waking up at night from your sleep. This is what some people say. And it doesn't include the morning. The scholars, they respond that when you wake up at night from sleep or even in the morning, you should use the siwak. There is another narration on the authority of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma. كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا ينام إلا والسواق عنده فإذا استيقظ بدأ بالسواق Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma he stated that the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم did not sleep except the siwak is right there next to him. So whenever he woke up from sleeping, he will begin with the siwak. This hadith, does it mention nighttime or morning? Anytime he sleeps. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ would take naps throughout the day. Or he took a nap throughout the day. The qaylula. So this is general. The hadith of Hudayfa, yes, is specifically is referring to when the Prophet ﷺ would get up at night to make tahajjud. He would use the siwak. But the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma says when the Prophet ﷺ would go to sleep or he would not go to sleep except that the siwak was next to him and when he would wake up. Meaning this includes wake up at night or wake up in the morning. He will use the siwak or he will begin with the siwak. The scholars, they say the reason why the Prophet Sallallahu will use the siwak when he wakes up from his sleep because sleeping changes the odor and the smell of the mouth. So just as sleeping at night changes the odor of the mouth, Sleeping during the daytime also 
changes the odor of the mouth. So therefore, the siwak is to be used when you wake up at night from sleep or when you wake up during the day from sleep. There's no difference. And the siwak that a person should use is a moist siwak, not dry. Because a dry uh, siwak, the scholars say, it does not really clean the teeth yeah. and it can hurt your teeth, yeah. cut your gums and the likes. So the siwak should be moist. It should not be hard. It should be moist. And this is seen that when the Prophet wasallam was on his deathbed, he asked for the siwak. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she took the siwak and she put it into her mouth to soften the siwak. What do you mean? Today? No, that's how you soften it. Before you start to clean, you, you bite on it, put your saliva on it to soften it up. And then you use it. That's how, and then you use it. And this is what Aisha radiallahu anha did uh, for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he was on his deathbed and he called for the siwak. And Aisha radiallahu anha, she took the siwak and she put it into her mouth to soften it up. And the Prophet at the time, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was laying on the lap, like on the chest area of Aisha. So she took it and softened it up and then she gave it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the Prophet wasallam used the siwak as this is right before his death. Now, as he's preparing himself to meet Allah, he he made his his breath have a good odor, a good smell with the siwak. And then afterwards, the Prophet wasallam he died. So from the last of that which entered into the mouth of the Prophet wasallam was the saliva of Aisha because she softened. The siwak for him. Radiallahu anha wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Bismillah alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. We continue with the benefits from the biographies of the mothers of the believers. And we are covering our mother, Sauda bin Zam'ah. In the last class, we had began with a narration of how Sauda, she married the Prophet sallallahu And we covered that this came as a suggestion from Khawla bint Hakim. She was the wife of Uthman ibn Mad'un. And when Khadija, she died, she said to the Prophet, uh, Khawla that is, she said to the Prophet wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, why don't you marry? 
And the Prophet ﷺ said, who am I going to marry? And Khawla, she said, if you wish, you can marry a virgin. And if you wish, you can marry a woman who has been previously married. He said to her, who is the virgin? She said, the daughter of the most beloved of the creation to Allah, to you. Meaning Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr. Radiallahu anhuma. And he said, well, who was the woman who has been previously married? She said, Sauda bint Zama. Zama. No, second. She's the second wife. Khadija is the first wife, then Sauda, then Aisha. Not yet, she's the third wife. No. So she suggested this to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and she mentioned uh, some good characteristics of Sauda to encourage the Prophet to marry her and to convince him to marry her. She said, She said she believed in you and she followed you upon that which you said. Showing that Sauda radiallahu anha, she's a righteous woman, she's a Muslimah, she believes in you, and she follows you upon that which you said. Meaning even in the times of hardship, where it was difficult for the Muslims in the beginning, she believed, yeah, before Sauda married Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she believed, she was a Muslimah, and she followed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she was from amongst the people who made hijra to Abyssinia and then she returned back to Mecca and then her husband died in Mecca. Her husband was a Muslim also. Yes. So when her husband died, she became a widow and then she went through her idda period and then she was available for marriage. So Khawla suggested that the Prophet marry Sauda. So she mentioned these two matters that she believed in you and she follows you upon that what you say. So the Prophet said, Okay, go to her and mention me to her. Meaning, go put forth my proposal. And go to the family of Abu Bakr and mention me to them. So he's putting forth his proposal to two to Sauda and to Aisha radiallahu anhuma. So we covered that Khawla, uh, she went to the family of Aisha, the house of Abu Bakr, and she said to them, What has Allah entered upon you of goodness and blessings? And Um Roman. She said, what are you talking about? She said, the Messenger of Allah sent me to propose on his behalf for Aisha. So Umar Man, she said, wait for Abu Bakr to come. So when Abu Bakr came, she said, oh Abu Bakr, what has Allah entered upon you of goodness and barakah? He said, what are you speaking about? She said, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent me to propose on his behalf to Aisha. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhi had mentioned, is she suitable for him? For indeed, she is the daughter of his brother. 
So Khawla returned back to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and mentioned that, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Go back and and say to him that I am your brother and you are my brother in Islam, and your daughter is suitable for me." So she went back and informed Abu Bakr of what the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Afwan and Abu Bakr, he said, wait, and then he left. And this is where we left off last week. So Umru Man, she said, إِنَّ مُطْعِمْ ابن عَدِي قَدْ كَانَ ذَكَرَهَا عَلَى إِبْنِهِ فَوَاللَّهِ مَا وَعَدَ وَعَدًا قَدْ فَأَخْلَفَهُ لِأَبِي بَكَرْ So Umru Man she mentioned that Mut'im ibn Adi, he had mentioned Aisha for his son. His son is Jubair. So Abu Bakr and Mut'im had discussed Aisha marrying Jubair. And Abu Bakr, he was a man who never broke his promises. So this is why he said, wait, so that he can go to Mud'im, because there's a promise now of Abu Bakr marrying Aisha to the son of Mut'im, who is Jubair ibn Mut'im. And this is an important matter here, and that is keeping your trust and fulfilling your promises. Breaking promises in Islam is from the signs of the munafiqeen. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Ayatul munafiq thalath, Iza haddatha kathib, Wa iza wa'ada akhlafa, Wa iza tumina khan. That the sign of the hypocrite is three things. When he speaks, he lies. When he makes a promise, he breaks his promise. And when he is entrusted with a trust, he betrays the trust. So Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he was a man who kept his word. Wait. So even though it's the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam proposing, Abu Bakr said wait. Because he already gave the promise to this man. That he will marry Aisha to his son. So Abu Bakr, فَدَخَلَ Abu Bakr عَلَى مُطْعِمْ ibn Adi وَعِنْدَهُ إِمْرَأَتُهُ أُمُّ الْفَتَاءِ فَقَالَتْ يَا إِبْنَا أَبِي كُحَافَ لَعَلَّكَ مُسْبِعٌ صَاحِبَنَا مُذْخِلُهُ فِي دِينِكَ الَّذِي أَنْتَ عَلَيْهِ إِنْ تَزَوَّجَ إِلَيْكَ So Abu Bakr, he goes to the house of Mut'im ibn Adi. And the wife of Mut'im was there. Her name is Umul Fata. And she said, O son of Abi Kuhafa, meaning Abu Bakr, perhaps, perhaps, you're going to cause our son to enter into your religion, which you are upon, if he marries your daughter. 
or marries from your family. Meaning Aisha radiallahu anha. So Abu Bakr, he said to Mut'im, Do you say the same thing that she is saying? So he's asking Mut'im about what she stands. You agree with her? So Mut'im He says That's what she says That's what she says And here's the situation He was not a Muslim at the time, Jubair, he was not a Muslim at the time. So now, when this was the case, and Mut'im basically agreed with his wife, Um Al-Fatah, Abu Bakr فَخَرَجَ مِنْ عِنْدِهِ وَقَدْ أَذْهَبَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَاءَ مَا كَانَ فِي نَفْسِهِ مِنْ عِدَتِهِ الَّتِي وَعَدَ فَرَجَعَ فَقَالَ لِخَوْلَ اِدْعِي لِي رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَدَعَتْهُ فَزَوَّجَهَا إِيَّا وَعَيْشَ يَوْمَ إِذٍ بِنْتْ سِتِّ سِنِينَ So once Abu Bakr seen the stance of the family, because again she said, perhaps you want to get our son out of his religion into your religion if he marries from your family. You're going to change him. And this shows, Barakallah Fikum, that a person must be careful As to what family he or she marries into. Very important. Marry from the righteous people. So that when you marry into the family of the righteous, this aids you upon your righteousness. But if you marry as an example into the family of the people of innovation, and the girl herself is from the people of innovation, and her father is from the people of innovation, and you have this ideology that you're going to change her, it's possible that you're going to be the one who changes. Or likewise, a woman, she marries a man, he's from the people of innovation, and she thinks that she's going to have some influence. Maybe he's going to be the one to influence her. So it's very important that when looking for a spouse, that one looks for the spouse who is religion. It's religious and upright upon the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And don't just marry anyone. So
So Abu Bakr, he said, do you say what she says? He says, this is what she says. So Abu Bakr, he didn't laugh. And Allah had removed from his chest any aversion or hardship and when it comes to breaking the promise there. Allah removed it. Because you know, he was a man of his word. He did not want to break his promise. But once he seen the situation of the family, Yahamukallah, and their position, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he left. And then he said to Khawla, call the messenger of Allah, call him. So, she called the Messenger of Allah and Abu Bakr radiallahu an married Aisha to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Aisha at the time was six years of age. And when we get to the biography of Aisha bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we're going to discuss this matter because a lot of the Orientalists and the adversaries of Islam and even Nam, a lot of the Orientalists or the Orientalists and the adversaries of Islam, they try to use this as a means of criticizing the Prophet ﷺ and describe him with pedophilia, that he's a pedophile, that he married a little girl. And they use this as a means to discredit the religion because they are attacking the honor of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam by saying he married a young girl at the age of six. However, the contract was done at the age of six and the consummation was at the age of nine. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam married Sauda and he was with Sauda for those three years just with her. This is before his hijrah. And then when he got to Medina and Aisha was of the age and physically ready and capable to handle being with a man, then the Prophet ﷺ consummated the marriage with Aisha. But the point here is that the Prophet ﷺ did not do to Aisha that which we find true pedophiles doing to children. Like which we have heard of, of the priests molesting boys and girls. This is not a marriage. This is child molestation. Right? Or the neighbors molesting boys and girls. Or relatives molesting their younger relatives in their lives. This is not what the Prophet ﷺ did. Rather, the father, Abu Bakr, married his daughter to the Prophet ﷺ. No, no, no. Abu Bakr married Aisha to the Prophet. He didn't take her somewhere and sneak off with her and do something to her. This was a marriage. 
And this was something that was acceptable in the customs of the people at the time. And again, we're going to go into the details of this ta'ala, when we get to the biography of Aisha and mention the arguments and combating what these people say and show how uh, the custom of an older man marrying a younger girl was not something that was specific to the Prophet ﷺ. And that even here in the West, there are instances where older men marry younger women. But that's for that time, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. But generally speaking, to comment on this, the Prophet ﷺ married Aisha with the consent of her father. The Prophet ﷺ did not sneak off with Aisha and take advantage of Aisha. She was six. The contract was done. At six, but when he when she moved into his house, she was nine, but this was in Medina. No, he was um Right. And they were married for twenty five years. Right. Because remember the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he was uh, 40 when he received the revelation. Khadija died 10 years after that. He was 50. So the age is 50 of the contract. And then the marriage was consummated at the age of 53. 53? Mm-hmm. Also, you have those who say, from the Muslims, because of being ashamed. The Aisha was not this young, rather she was older than that, yeah. 17 or 18 years old. And again, these matters will be discussed bi-ithnillahi ta'ala. The point here, barakallahu feekum, is that Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he married Aisha to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then afterwards, Khawla, she left, and then she went to Sauda bin Zama. And this is what the scholars used to say, that the Prophet ﷺ married Aisha before he married Sauda, meaning the contract. As for the matter of consummation of the marriage, then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was with Sauda before he was with Aisha radiallahu anha living in the home together. Inshallah ta'ala we will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And whatever is incorrect, it is from myself. Wa subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta staghfiruka wa atubi ilayk.